Hello and welcome to the Archbishop's Corner. This is where we meet each week to talk with Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair about faith, morals, the life of the church today, and how the gospel makes sense in an ever-changing world. This is where we go to find the answers to our lingering questions about the teachings of the church, living the faith life of a Catholic in contemporary society, and developing a stronger relationship with God. I'm Father John Gatzak with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. Think for a minute about the people in your world. What do they think of your commitment to them? How would you rate your faithfulness? Does your loyalty ever waver? Do you have one person with whom your contract is non-negotiable? Once, two friends were fighting together in a war. The combat was ferocious and many lives were being taken. When one of the two young soldiers was injured and could not get back to the trenches, the other went out to get him against his officer's orders. He returned, mortally wounded, and his friend, whom he had carried back, was dead. The officer looked at the dying soldier, shook his head, and said, It wasn't worth it. The young boy, overhearing the remark, smiled and said, But it was worth it, sir, because when I got to him, he said, Jim, I knew you'd come. Make the most of your relationships. Follow the advice of Benjamin Franklin. Be slow in choosing friends and be even slower in leaving them. It is here in the Archbishop's Corner where Archbishop Leonard Blair leads us to the knowledge that will help us make the most of our relationships. Yes, with one another and also with God. So thank you, Archbishop Blair, for leading us into the Archbishop's Corner to show us the way into a closer relationship with God and with one another. How are you today? Well, I'm doing fine, but, you know, it is Lent, and I'm finding both the penances that I choose and, as Archbishop, sometimes the penances I don't choose uh, as far as the trials and tribulations of life in this world. We all have them, but, uh, you know, sometimes they weigh on us more than others. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm a little bit tired this morning after losing an hour of sleep last night today being the start of daylight savings time, so we spring ahead. With longer days, though, we know that winter's finally almost over. In fact, spring begins this Saturday. Question for you. Last year, some churches held services outside due to the COVID-19 restrictions. Do you think outdoor services will be provided again for this summer, especially those who are still might be fearful of being inside with groups? Oh, I would think so, but I leave that to the discretion of the pastors. And of course, the other thing is one would hope that as we move forward, the restrictions even on indoor will be loosened uh, somewhat because things will be getting better. But I'm no scientist or doctor to be able to say uh, when or how that might be. But certainly when, when things get uh, nicer outside, uh, to the extent that we still have to exercise some precautions, uh, if pastors want to do that, that's fine. I know it's been very successful in some parishes, very successful indeed. Tomorrow is what's being called True Confessions Day, a day created to inspire people to let go of their secrets and have a day of honesty. Keeping a guilty secret can be stressful and put a strain on any relationship. Now, while this is a secular celebration, it has little to do with the sacrament of confession. Let me ask you what some of the benefits are for Catholics who do take part in the sacrament of reconciliation, especially during this Lent. Well, I would say that you know, it does have something to do with the sacrament of penance in as much as there is something good for the soul and there is something good for the, I guess you would say, the psyche for one's mm-hmm. mental uh, health, emotional health, uh, to unburden oneself truthfully about various things. Now, the sacrament of penance makes it possible for that to be unburdened uh, to someone who's uh, acting in the person of Christ himself and to give divine absolution, the forgiveness of sins. 
But there's also an aspect of it that even in human relations, unburdening oneself sometimes, uh, the importance of saying you're sorry, not just to God in the confessional, uh, but to people we've offended or things we've done. Obviously, that has to be done with a certain prudence. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's a good thing. Uh, so I, I, I certainly, I, I suppose in some ways it dovetails with, uh, with uh, the practice of the sacrament of penance. It doesn't take the place of the sacrament of penance, but it, it's part and parcel of, of that reality. Wednesday, we celebrate St. Patrick's Day. The patron saint of Ireland who converted the Irish to Christianity established monasteries, churches, schools throughout Ireland. When one considers the state of Ireland when St. Patrick began his mission work and the vast extent of his labors, one can only admire the kind of man that he must have been. What most impresses you about St. Patrick, Archbishop? Well, I think when you look at the establishment, the, the foundation, the planting of the gospel of the church in so much of the world, um, obviously it's a work of grace of God and there are really towering giants of missionary uh, activity like St. Patrick that we can look to uh, whom God blessed and, and, and led to, 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 to what we have. Um, I think uh, the most uh, impressive thing about, well, or one of the most impressive things about St. Patrick is, you know, he was uh, captured and, and uh, enslaved mm-hmm. um, and then he wound up going back to the place that had, where he'd been uh, enslaved in order to uh, preach the gospel. You know, how mm. many of us, how many people would do that? Um, I mean, really, pe- people lived a very rough life back then. They they were subject to all kinds of, our sufferings are more sometimes uh, psychological, spiritual, not to, not to say that there aren't people in our country who suffer uh, material and physical suffering very much. But I'm just saying, I suppose, that uh, for a lot of people, life was hard in a way that we can't really appreciate. And uh, yet somebody like St. Patrick in those days was intrepid and fierce in doing what seemed to be an impossible task. Thursday is National Supreme Sacrifice Day. And this day honors those who have made tremendous sacrifices for the sake and the good of others, as well as those who sacrifice their lives every day for us. When you think about supreme sacrifice... Who immediately comes to mind? Well, Jesus Christ, because making the gift of self, uh, uh, certainly a Jesus who was innocence incarnate, willingly uh, suffered for the guilty, uh, for, the given, for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, but I think the supreme sacrifice is the gift of one's life. Mm. And uh, of course, there's the gift of one's physical life, people who put themselves in harm's way to protect others or to defend their, their country, their families. Uh, there's also uh, the gift of self, uh, supreme sacrifice, too, of people who dedicate their whole lives to uh, a life of service in a way that might be menial, uh, that may be very difficult, that may put them in danger. So those are all ways of, uh, of putting your life on the line for others, and that is what we are all called to do in some way. Wouldn't you say that we, to, to some extent, we celebrate Supreme Sacrifice Day at every Mass? Oh, absolutely. I mean, Christ has made the gift of himself to the Father on the cross, and uh, in as much as his uh, death and resurrection uh, are, are really what the Mass is uh, about, yes, it's the supreme sacrifice. Friday, March 19th, is a very special day for all of us in the Archdiocese of Hartford. It's uh, the feast day of St. Joseph, the husband of the Virgin Mary, patron of the Catholic Church, 
patron of fathers and carpenters, patron saint of the Archdiocese of Hartford. St. Joseph's Day is a big feast for Italians as well, because in the Middle Ages, God, through St. Joseph's intercession, saved the Sicilians from a very serious drought. You want to say a little bit about St. Joseph, and who is regarded by some as the forgotten saint, because some of today's Catholics see him as unimportant compared to the Virgin Mary. Well, I mean, there's no place for odious comparisons when it comes to the call that God gave to Mary or Joseph or to any of us. Uh, Each of us is totally unique and plays our role. And our role is essential, and it's something that entrusted to us by God to accomplish. So Mary did it in her way, and Joseph does it in his. Uh, First of all, let me say about the day that, you know, even though it's a Friday in Lent, uh, it is a solemnity, a joyful occasion. So this Friday is not a a day of fast uh, or abstinence uh, uh, from meat. Now, should we use that as an excuse uh, to to just say, whoopee, I don't have to, maybe we want to choose another day. But that's optional. That's up to you. Uh, I try to do that because I know that penance is good for me. But on Friday, the 19th of March, we are celebrating it as a solemnity. So it's it's not really a, a Lenten day that day in its observance. And I know a lot of people are surprised at that, but that that is the reality. Now, as far as St. Joseph, you know, he, well, I will say too that the, uh, maybe make a little plug here, the Bishops' Conference of the United States has videotaped a novena leading up to St. Joseph Day. We're probably already in it now. I haven't started counting. They asked me as chairman of the worship committee for the country to, Bishops' Committee, to do that. I think the first day I did. So that would be on video from the USCCB, a nice reflection from a different bishop each day and a, and a prayer, which we video recorded here at the uh, Pastoral Center. But um, So I before, think... we, before we move on, let me just make mention of the facts so that if anybody wants to view that novena, they could just go to usccb.org. Is that correct? I believe so, yes. Okay. Uh, the other thing is uh, that here in the Archdiocese, uh, I think we have, or maybe you, Father John, on your website can make available some of the resources that have been uh, given uh, from the from the Holy Father in Rome, uh, some prayers and things that people can make use of during this year of St. Joseph, but particularly on, the, on his solemnity on the 19th. Absolutely. We can certainly do that. Our website would be wjmj.org. Easy to remember, wjmj.org, and we'll see if we can't get those prayers on that website. Did you want to say something about St. Joseph being the patron saint of the Archdiocese? Well, I did read the history of the Archdiocese, and I don't recall exactly how the cathedral took that name. Perhaps it's in there and I've forgotten. You know, it it, it is a very beautiful uh, title to have for your cathedral, and uh, certainly because of that we honor him, but also because he is the patron of the Universal Church. And this is the year of St. Joseph. Yes, and that's why I uh, would recommend people looking at some of those resources. The Holy Father, Pope Francis, has written a very nice uh, reflection on, on St. Joseph for uh, when he announced this year. I think you, you could put that on your website as well for people to look at. We'll do that. Just to transfer to a different topic uh, momentarily now, lawmakers in the Public Health Committee of Connecticut's General Assembly have approved a proposed law to make it easier for people to die. It's the first time an assisted suicide bill made it through the committee, and now lawmakers will have to decide whether to change state law to make physician-assisted suicide legal. Does this apparent progress toward physician-assisted suicide give you cause for concern? Oh, very grave concern. I mean, it's been brought up year after year after year, and uh, after all the testimonies and everything, it's 
never made its way out of the committee. Uh, but this year, for a number of reasons, I think partially because um, of COVID, there, there are not the usual open hearings uh, that there have been in the past. It has been voted out of committee. And all I can say is uh, I, we have to do everything we can, and I urge people to speak up against uh, this bill being approved now I, and passed into law for Connecticut. You know, I, I'm grateful to WJMJ for uh, broadcasting the, the little message of mine, uh, asking people to go sign a petition against the suicide law. And as I say uh, from our bishops' conference, the object is to uh, eliminate pain, not to eliminate the patient. Uh, you know, the, with, with uh, hospice care and modern medicine, uh, there is no uh, reason uh, that a person has to suffer a pain unduly when they're uh, in, in, at the end of their life. And the church has never taught that you have to use extraordinary means to preserve a life when their use is futile. So it's not like we're trying uh, to say that people just have to be kept alive at any cost. Uh, and when I say cost, I don't mean money. I mean, you know, any, any uh, lengths. But that's very different than actively uh, uh, killing someone, uh, you know, a, a suicide. Uh, that that uh, is, is really not in keeping with God's law uh, and with the truth about who we are as human beings. And it is a slippery slope. People who look online, I'm sure, can find out more how in places where assisted suicide has been approved, it then spreads to, spreads to a whole mentality mm -hmm. about suicides, about young people. Uh, I mean, in Europe, even children perform this death. I'm just saying that it, it is not a pretty picture. And like any of these things, the implications of it only gradually with a whole new mentality uh, start to take over. So I would urge people to work and pray that this bill does not become law in the state of Connecticut. And to learn more about physician-assisted suicide and, and why the church is so strong in support of the sacredness of human life, the value of human life, until its ultimate natural death, Join me for a discussion with Chris Healy, who is the executive director of the Connecticut Catholic Public Affairs Conference, for a program that will air this morning between 10.30 and 10.45 after the television mass on WCCT television and WCTX television. That's Chris Healy. We'll be talking a little bit more about physician-assisted suicide and why we need to stand up against it. And thank you again, uh, Father John, for all that you're doing to help in this effort. It's very important, Archbishop, I believe, uh, that, that all of us have to join together because it's a matter of um, supporting the dignity of the dying process and allowing families to appreciate one another right up to the very end and not dispose of somebody because, well, we don't like their suffering. But there is absolutely no need for anyone to suffer today with the palliative care that is given and the support and the medication that, that is given so that no one has to suffer. Yes, at hospice, all these kinds of things are, are available to people. Let's take a look now at our Gospel reading on this fourth Sunday of Lent. Today's Gospel is taken from the third chapter of John's Gospel. So we hear the Gospel account as it is dramatically presented, after which we'll ask you, Archbishop Blair, what you believe is especially pertinent to our lives as we journey our way through Lent. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, 
that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God sent the Son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world. And men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does what is true comes to the light, that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been wrought in God. What are your thoughts, Archbishop, as we hear this great theological affirmation by John? Well, a number of things come to mind. One is Jesus' reference to, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. This is a reference to the fact that in the uh, wanderings of the Jewish people in the desert under the leadership of Moses, that because of their complaining against God, they were punished by uh, serpents being bit by serpents. Uh, and in the desert, you can imagine that this is a possibility. And this rather strange thing that happened, that Moses made a serpent of bronze and put it on a pole and those who looked at this serpent, this symbol of death, were healed of their, of their deadly uh, wound. And, you know, even today, I don't know if it's still the case, sometimes medical, uh, a symbol for, for doctors and, and medical care are, are, th are these kind of serpents on a pole. Yeah. That comes from the Old Testament. And it, what Jesus is saying is that this was a prefigurement of his own uh, crucifixion. In other words, the strangeness of looking at the instrument of death in order to be healed of death. And Jesus is saying that when he is lifted up on the cross, which is the most, how would you say, almost repulsive, horrible scene of suffering and death, that that will be the cure for suffering and death. Uh, so that's one aspect of this gospel. And the other is uh, judgment. And again, we come to this, as I think I've had occasion to speak before, like I think we talked about the gospel of Jesus driving out the money changers from the temple with a whip, that Jesus says that he has come for judgment. Whoever believes in him will not be condemned, but whoever does not believe has already been condemned. And the verdict, Jesus says, is the lights come, come into the world and people have preferred darkness because their works were evil. This is a reality as much today as it was back then. Mm -hmm. So again, we must understand that, you know, faith is a matter of life and death, not in this world, but in for eternity. And uh, we have to take stock of where we stand uh, with regard to our belief. And of course, to believe in Jesus is to, to want to obey him, uh, to have faith in him, uh, to live according to his commandments. And we, none of us does that perfectly. We are all sinners. And Jesus came, as he says, not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. But the through him means that we accept him. And by accepting him, it means that we obey him. He said, whoever is true to my word, you know, if you, if you, if you love me, if you believe me, you will keep my word. You will do what I've, what I've commanded you to do. So a very good Lenten gospel to remind us of all these things. And, you know, the whole thing, too, of the contrast of light and darkness 
that whoever lives the truth comes into the light. But those who do wicked things hate the light yeah. and do not come into the light. And how true that is, uh, the seeking refuge in the deeds of darkness and doing uh, things that are underhanded and, uh, you know, that are wrong. So let's all during Lent uh, try to walk out into the light so that we can be saved. Well, it's probably one of the most powerful sentences in all the Gospels. God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him might not perish but might have eternal life. There's so many important words there upon which you could write an entire homily. For instance, love, the word love, or gave, believes, not perish, eternal life. Pick one that is significant to you and to your faith, life, Archbishop. Well, I don't, <laughs> they're all very significant. Yeah, I mean, scripture, and I have occasion to reflect on this off, often, that, that our faith and everything about uh, what Christ is and what he's taught us is not an either or, it's a both and. And when we forget that, then we are missing the point. You know, both and, not either or, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's... Uh, uh, there's love, but there's also truth. There's truth, but there's also love. Uh, you know, there's heaven, but there's also hell. There's hell, but there's also heaven. At every point, we we see that there, that that both are are part of this message that that in the great sweep of of what's been revealed to us, and we have to always be making choices. The choice we make that is either or is well whether we will accept what Christ says or not. But once we do then we have to accept the fullness of what what is revealed and what is asked of us. Let's take a look at some of the questions that have been submitted by our uh, listeners. For instance, Carol from Bristol says, Pope Francis recently made history by becoming the first pope to visit Iraq. It is also the first trip that he has embarked on since the pandemic started. Of all the places he could have traveled to, why did Pope Francis choose to visit Iraq? Well, I think for two reasons. One is the utter devastation that's been visited uh, upon uh, the suffering people of a place like that because of war and terrorism and oppression. I mean, they've gone from brutal dictatorship to chaos to ISIS to everything. And so obviously the church is concerned about the peace and well-being of, of all people, whether they're Catholic or Christian or not. But he's particularly uh, wants to go there for the second reason, and that is that the Christians of Iraq which is one of the oldest Christian communities in the world, mm-hmm. uh, that was overrun by Islam many, many, many centuries ago, but still has survived uh, in a significant way that he wanted to give them encouragement because they have been brutalized, killed, and their churches and homes destroyed in, 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 by radical Islam uh, in, in, at this time. Uh, you know, ISIS and people like that. And so uh, the suffering, you know, the Knights of Columbus, I must say, have tried to call our nation and our government everybody's attention to the plight of suffering Christians in the Middle East, how terribly they have been brutalized in suffering. I think they said that there were well over a million, uh, there were over a million uh, Christians uh, in Iraq uh, before the uh, all these events have taken place in recent years, and now it's down to about 250,000 people. Wow. At least well over, it's probably a million Christians that have left Iraq because I, I know it was uh, well over a million some before. So this is why the Pope is going there, to try to give them courage. P- priests and bishops have been killed. 
the, the Christians there that are Chaldean Catholics, you know, they're they're Catholic as we are. They're under the, the, the uh, pastoral care of the Pope in a direct way. We have Chaldean Catholics here in the United States. Diocese, we have whole dioceses of Chaldean Catholics. Um, they they really, the Pope said, I have to go there. I have to give them my support and I have to speak up on their behalf to the government in Iraq to protect these Christians who've been there for from time immemorial. They're not recent. They, they were there before there was an Islam. We forget that, that in a lot of the Middle East, you know, uh, Christianity was firmly implanted in many places before Muhammad was born. But eventually... Uh, that gave way to Islam, but those communities are very old. Everything that I've read about the reports of the, the Pope's trip to Iraq have been very, very positive. His message to all the people there, not only to the Christian community, but to, to the Muslim community, the Jewish community, all those that look to Abraham as father of faith, it certainly has been very, very positive and uplifting and uh, I think a source of peace to that region of the world. Susan from New Haven has a question for you. Susan says, on Fridays during Lent, my family often eats fish. The other day, my daughter asked me if the fish symbol associated with Christianity has its origins due to the observance of Lent. How did the fish symbol become popular in the Christian world? Well, no, eating fish really has nothing to do with it. But the symbol of the fish, the ichthus, uh, is because if you take in Greek, and remember the first uh, language of the early church outside of Palestine was not Latin, but it was Greek. And you take the initial letters of the word, of the phrase, Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. Each of the Greek letters that begins each of those words together spells ichthos, which, which is the word for fish. So that became a symbol, and in times of persecution, a kind of hidden symbol of, of, of Christianity. So that's why fish was an early Christian symbol, but it doesn't have anything to do with, with eating fish on Friday. Roger from Madison says, the chairman of two U.S. bishops committees recently said that the use of the Johnson & Johnson COVID-19 vaccine raises moral concerns because it was developed, tested, and is produced with abortion-derived cell lines. The bishops concluded, however, that while we should continue to insist that pharmaceutical companies stop using abortion-derived cell lines, given the worldwide suffering that the pandemic is causing, we affirm again that being vaccinated can be an act of charity that serves the common good. I am struggling with the decision to get a vaccine, especially Johnson & Johnson's, because of what it is derived from. What are your thoughts on the Johnson & Johnson vaccine and the U.S. bishop's comments? Well, Roger, I know there's been some confusion about this, but the, the bottom line is that for a long time now, uh, the church has uh, authoritatively determined that the use that vaccines have made in modern times relying on cells that may have been de derived from abortion, that they can be uh, legitimately used in good conscience uh, because, uh, primarily because the creation of those cells was is so remote from the actual vaccines. This was determined even before there was a COVID uh, epidemic or pandemic. And so, but there are two things in the message we want to give to our people. Uh, the two things are you can use any of these vaccines in good conscience. And the second thing is that the church remains concerned uh, that uh, whenever vaccines are produced for any disease, we urge and are working, to, striving to advocate that, that uh, any uh, association, whatever, however remote uh, from abortion be avoided. 
Now, I think what's happened recently is which of those two messages did someone use first? In Connecticut here, we, we said, first of all, you're free to use these vaccines as the Holy See has determined in Rome at the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. And as our bishops committee in, in, uh, in Washington, the Doctrine Committee also said, and then secondly, that the church remains committed to ensuring that these the creation of any vaccine avoids aborted cells. But the problem is that some uh, announcements put the concern first and the, the okay to receive them second. And it may have made it look like uh, there was a contradiction here, but there really isn't. I noted that the chairman of, the, um, of our doctrine committee of the Bishops' Conference even made a video a day or two after the initial announcement making it very clear that people can receive these vaccines in good conscience. So I think that's where there's been some some confusion, unfortunately, but the, the bottom line should be very clear. Archbishop, thank you for clarifying that for us. We've come to the end of our time. Can you close the program with a prayer and a blessing, please? Lord, you have revealed to us that your Father so loved the world that he gave you his only Son, so that everyone who believes in you may not perish but have eternal life. Help us always to turn away from the darkness of sin and death and to turn to you, the rising sun, who has brought us life, not only for our souls in this world, but for eternal life. And we pray especially for those many people who prefer the darkness, who are blinded by sin, who refuse to believe, that during this time of Lent, our prayers and sacrifices may win for them the grace of repentance and conversion joining us in that line of penitents who rejoice to have your forgiveness and the gift of salvation. And may Almighty God bless you all in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Archbishop, thank you for inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner. We look forward to joining you again next Sunday. Until then, stay well. Thank you, you too.